We're doing a series through the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we're looking at the joy of being persecuted. And everybody said, woohoo. Ready? Whoopee. Can, you got to do whoopee. I'm going to say it one more time. The joy of being persecuted. Okay. There we go. Yeah, uh, Matthew chapter 10. This is the Beatitudes. That's just a Latin word that means blessed. And so we have these blessings that we have from God. And we've looked at different ones this past month, I guess. Um, and uh, we're now toward the end of the Beatitudes. Actually, uh, verse 10 ends the Beatitudes. And verses 11 and 12 complement verse 10. They go with it with a little more explanation. But uh, they drop the Beatitudes normally, crop it after verse 10, even though verse 11 uh, starts with blessed. Uh, the Beatitudes, if your Bible sets them out in different type like mine does, it uh, starts in verse 3 and ends in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted, uh, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, it sounds strange to say, uh, bless, just be really happy. And so what I want to begin with this morning is a concept that medical science is really just wrapping their minds around, and that is this, that your mind has control over your circumstances. And you say, well, we've always known that. Well, some people get really weird about that, you know. Uh, that wall is not really there. And in my mind, if I can envision that wall not being there, I can walk right through. And I'd have John Mollett up here to demonstrate that for us and have him run head first into the wall. But I'm afraid he might hit it so hard the ceiling would come down. So uh, we won't do that. But, but we, people have this mind over matter. That's not what I'm talking about. But listen to this. Uh, there were some, in the book, Peak Performance, Brad, Brad and Steve, the two writers, can't quite get their last names out today. Uh, they said, imagine you just finished a very hard, physically demanding labor. You've been toiling and laboring. Maybe it's hot sun. It was a, a physical outdoor workout on a scorching day. And someone presents you with an ice cold milkshake. And so now you wonder, well, is this milkshake going to be good for me? Is it healthy, low-calorie blend of or organic fruits and vegetables with almond milk and whey protein? That's what you always think when somebody hands you a shake, isn't it? Uh, or is it the nutritional opposite? A calorie bomb full of fat, chocolate, ice cream, whole milk, and sugary syrup. How many of you think that's what a shake looks like? Yeah. Now, they tell us, science and, and, and common sense tell us that the two shakes would have a profound difference in your life. And the, the sugary one would be very satiating. You'd feel full. It would satisfy. And, and it would be good. But soon after that, you might start craving sugar because you've just given your body this big sugar boost and your body wants more. But if you have the other shake, it... Mm, 
it would be nutritious, but not very satisfying. You would finish it, and you'd want more. You'd feel like, I didn't get enough. That's usually what eating healthfully means. Your body still says, I want more, but you don't. But when the researchers from Yale, they did this study, and they gave these people, they finished this grueling workout, and they handed them these shakes, and then they told them what the shake was. And so they handed this person this sugary, sweet cake, and they handed this person this shake, and it was you know, this high-protein, rich, healthful, and, and that's all they told them, the people ate and drank those shakes, and then afterward they interviewed them uh, an hour later, and the ones who had that sweet shake said, I need more. I, I want more sweet. You got any cinnamon rolls or something? You know? And the, the people who had the healthful shake, they all said, you know, it, it felt good, but I, I, I'm still hungry. I need something more that's still good for me. Their bodies responded exactly like they thought they would respond, given the two different shakes. However, it was in the participants' minds, not the sugar, fat, fruits, vegetables, protein, that controlled how, they, how um, subjectively they felt after drinking their shake. They had an emotional response because the two shakes given out were identical. The shakes were exactly the same. But the people who were told, this is really healthy and good for you, when they finished, oh, they wanted something more that was healthy and good for them. When they gave the, to the people and said, this is sugary, disgustingly sweet, you're going to get a sugar, they wanted more of that. And, and they felt like they had a sugar buzz going on. The shakes were identical. The difference was in their mind. And through the, the lens through which we view the world affects everything from learning to health to longevity to our internal response to different milkshakes. How we view stress weighs heavily on how stress influences us. How we look at it influences how it affects us. So they conclude that peak performers remember the power of mindset. How you view something fundamentally changes how your body responds to it. And then in another book, Christine Carter, I don't know her either, but she wrote The Sweet Spot. And she said your mindset affects your health and your response to medicine. 42% of bald men were given a cream that said it would help grow hair. It wouldn't. It was just regular cream. But when those guys believed it would grow hair, 42% had hair growth. Now, let me rephrase that. 42% saw hair growth. It might not have been there. It might have been. I don't know. When researchers rubbed the arms of people, they had this leaf, and people who were identified themselves as highly allergic to poison ivy, They'd rub this leaf on their arm and tell them it was poison ivy. What happened? Broke out in a terrible rash. The thing was, the leaf was not poisonous at all. And people who had identified themselves as highly allergic to poison ivy, they rubbed a leaf on them and said, this is poison ivy. 
100% of them had a reaction. But it was the same leaf that was not poison ivy. When their brain thought it was poison ivy, they reacted. When their brain thought it wasn't, they didn't react. And that she also said, when compared to morphine, placebos are equally powerful at pain control. If the doctor gives you a tic-tac and says, swallow this, it'll help your pain, and you swallow it, it will help your pain. Your mind has control over your circumstances. Not weird mind control stuff. I'm not going to whip out a spoon and bend it for you with the power of my mind. <laughs> what I do with spoons with the power of my mind is eat ice cream. But listen, you are in charge of your mind. Kids, you got that? Kids, you are in charge of your mind. Not your parents, not your grandparents, not your lineage. You can't say, I just got bad genes. No, you're in charge. Of course, kids wouldn't know what I'm talking about there anyway. I was just being facetious. Some of you will remember that. You're in charge of your mind and you control the meditation of your heart. I like to use the phrase because it works for me. You control the soundtrack in your head. And you must develop a mindset of faithfulness in the midst of suffering. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. See, a great athlete does not view practice as something bad. I remember when I was in high school sports and competed in cross country and track, but I hung out with football players and basketball players. We shared the same gym and the same sports locker room for all the guys who were on varsity sports had the same locker room. And, and I remember we, we, all these guys, you could tell the guys who were going to do really well because when practice was over, they were out there doing more. Just a little bit more. And the guys were, oh, they were ready to quit and go to the locker room. Man, they were done. They never did much in sports. And in, I was watching some world-class athletes compete yesterday uh, in track and field and uh, the U.S. National Championships. And they were going out and several of them were first-time champions and they were all excited about how that was working. But a great athlete doesn't consider practice to be a burden. It's, it's a stepping stone along the road to success. A great musician practices over and over and over. And if you live with them, it's over and over and over and over and over. I remember one time Benjamin was going over this part, just going over and over and over it. And I finally walked out. I was in the other room with the door shut. But you know, he's big. He plays loud. And, and he was just going over and over and over. And I walked out and I said, it's good enough. Move on. He said, no, it's not. And he kept working at it. I'm a talented musician too. I can play multiple stations on my radio. But a great musician will practice over and over and over and over. 
They'll repeat, 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 repeat. In fact, my wife teaches piano, and she can tell the kids who are going to end up doing well, they're the ones who really are diligent in their practicing, and they end up doing well. And the ones who are not end up dropping out. Believers should understand, this is really big, believers should understand this, suffering is part of our faith. Suffering is part of our faith. It's in those times of suffering that you grow. Now, I, I've been around here for almost 20 years now, and I've known Rikosi's for even longer than that, but I didn't know him well till I moved here. Uh, but uh, they knew our family, and we'd been through some hard times, and we knew their family, and they'd been through some hard times, and then we're serving the Lord together here for almost 20 years, uh, 20 years next month. And, you know, all of you, some of you I've known for all of those 20 years. Some of you I just met this year. But you can give a testimony that the times you grew the most were the times of difficulty. When you had to bury that spouse or that parent or that child or grandchild. When you had to, you lost that job that it was your dream job. When, when you were connected and serving the Lord and then somebody asked you to stop doing that and put somebody else in your spot. You, you've experienced weights and difficulties and trials and it's in those times that we grow the most. There's an analogy of trees uh, battered by the wind, right? What happens to those trees? They really sink down roots. But if you build walls around a tree and you carefully tend the ground and you have these walls and you protect that tree, that tree will grow up, you remove the walls, what happens? The wind comes, down goes the tree. Why? Because the tree grows strength through the struggle. And so do you. Just like that athlete practicing, just like that musician practicing, you build muscle strength, spiritual muscle strength, by going through the difficulties. If you look at the front of your bulletin, we had some verses there. 1 Peter 2, 20 and 21. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently or take that patiently, this is commendable before God, when you've done right and suffered, that's commendable. Then he adds, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. This is your calling, Peter said. Christ is your example. So, Let's think about suffering. First of all, what should you expect? I've never been in combat. I served in the Marine Corps, but I served during peace. The closest I came to combat, um, other than fighting each other in the Marine Corps, was when we got on board ship, we were going to go to Nicaragua, we were going to invade, and then it got called off. And... Uh, it, it, we got sent back, and so we didn't go, and then 10 years later, they let the Army go in and take care of it, but um, the Marines didn't get to. 
Some were in combat. And there's a difference in how you act if you're in a combat zone. If you're in a combat zone and you walk out to your car, what do you do? You look around, see it safe. When you go to the car, you move swiftly to the car. Have you really thought about something? We live in a combat zone. This is not just a combat zone. We live in enemy territory. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And we live here on planet earth where God knows exactly why, but God has given Satan certain power on planet earth. And we are subject to difficulties created by Satan. Job The book of Job talks about Satan causing storms and enemies to rise up and attack and and great loss being suffered because of what Satan did in Job chapters 1 and 2. And so we know that Satan has that capacity. God can restrain him. God is magnificently more powerful than Satan. Satan is a created being. God is the infinite, omnipotent, all-powerful creator, and he spoke Satan into existence. Uh, But we live in enemy territory. He's the prince of darkness. He's the prince of this world. And so we live in his domain. Now, if right now you were called of God to move, and you were going to go be a missionary, and you were going to go be a missionary in a Muslim country, and you knew that the, the sentence for leading a Muslim to Christ is death, then you would be very aware of how you acted and what you did, how you interacted with people. You'd still put your life on the line because we're called by God to do that, but you'd be more aware of it. We live in enemy territory, and we're not really aware of it. He said... Blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, before we get into all these, remember why you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. So, if you go to work tomorrow and you get in a big fight with your boss and you yell at your boss and you get fired, that's not persecuted for righteousness' sake. If you uh, are supposed to do something and you don't show up and you lose an opportunity, you're not persecuted for righteousness sake. When I was in the Marine Corps, I had a buddy who came to me and asked me to help build a defense for him because he was being charged with being AWOL, absent without leave, or in the Marine Corps, what they called UA, unauthorized absence. And so he was UA from his work position because he'd gone to church. And he wanted me to help defend him because he had, I worked in legal, but he wanted me to help defend him. And and he said the reason why is he had to go to church because God told him not to forsake church. So even though he was assigned that duty, he went to church because he was honoring God like the apostles who said, we must obey God, not men. No, that was a misunderstanding of scripture. His responsibility was to do that job. And when I had duty on a Sunday, I stood duty on a Sunday. I tried to get out of it. I went to church as often as I could. Um, He just didn't want to stand duty. 
He was not being religiously persecuted. He was being justly charged with not doing his duty. So, Christians claim persecution all the time today. I'm persecuted because somebody didn't like the Christian song I was listening to. That's not persecution. So Jesus said, it has to be, for, for it really to be persecution, it's for righteousness sake, or um, as Peter said, when you're doing what's right and you still suffer. So here's what you should expect. In, in some parts of the world, are, you should expect to be persecuted. This is a systematic harassment and a personal attack. Some parts of the world today, people will beat you, imprison you, even burn down your house or your church if you're a Christian. In the history of the church, believers have suffered persecution. They have suffered a martyrdom. Families have been torn apart. Faithful people have been brutally assaulted and put to death. Satan is anti-God and anti-Christian, and when you live for God, he'll attack you as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, Peter said. The people who reject Christ and reject biblical values are becoming increasingly militant in our world today. In the name of tolerance, they will tolerate anything except biblical Christianity. And we need to stand for the truth of God's word. The history of the church is often written in blood. And we've seen that through the centuries. And it might happen in this century. We are not only the redeemed, we also are the persecuted. That's a normal fact of life. They'll persecute you. They'll revile you. This is grumblings against you, complaining, reproaching, mocking you. As Jesus himself said, look how people treated me. So expect them to treat you the same way. If they disliked him, they'll dislike you. When you speak for the truth, you may well be scorned for it. At work or in the community, if people ask you and share the truth of God's word, they may come up to you and ask you, what does God really say? And you share the truth, and then they get mad at you because you shared the truth of what God's word says, and they don't like that truth. It's unfortunate. It's unfair. But it's also to be expected. See, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. He didn't say, listen, you'll be really blessed if this happens. It is happening. Some of you had it by your own family, your parents, your siblings, your kids, your grandkids, mocking your faith. That's reviling. And he said, and again, persecuting that systematic uh, harassment and personal attacks. And then say all kinds of evil against you. This is a maliciousness, a wickedness, abusive language. The best illustration of this is political commercials. Most of the time, when politician A fusses about politician B, you think politician B should be in prison. And then the next commercial, politician B is against politician A. And you think, well, he should be in prison. 
And I know some people say, just put them all in prison and we'll be fine. Uh, the, the truth is, God created government. God allowed governments. He, uh, there are a lot of things I dislike about our government at every level. But we still live better than most people in the history of the world. But they'll say all kinds of evil against you. Now, here's the kicker. It has to be false. See, if I can complain about you as a liar, a cheat, and a thief, and you're a liar and a cheat and a thief, that's not reviling. That's not persecuting. That's not saying evil against you. That's saying the truth. It will be uncomfortable to have people attack you. It will be frustrating. You will want to right all wrongs, but that's not what the Lord has called us to do. Only God can right all wrongs, and he has chosen not to. Someday he will. Someday we'll stand in his glory. Someday sin will be no more. The sin I struggle with on the inside, the sin I struggle with on the outside, it'll be gone someday. But for now, you should expect persecution, reviling, and malicious and vengeful words spoken against you. So how should you respond? Well, you should file a lawsuit. That's not what the Lord said. Did you know they had courts in his day? They weren't the same as ours. But he could have taken a legal recourse. He didn't. And he said we shouldn't. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Ready for this next verse? What should you do? How should you respond? What's the first word? Rejoice. rejoice. Now, what does rejoice mean? I have teased Griston uh, years ago. I don't know if it's still that. Years ago, his favorite food was, was eggplant parmesan, right? You remember that? Is it still your favorite food? Or the deer you shot is now your favorite food, right? Um, <laughs> But when he was a kid, eggplant parmesan was his favorite fruit. Now, it wasn't just eggplant parmesan. It was Jennifer, Michel's, Jennifer Miller's special eggplant parmesan. And that was his favorite meal. I've had eggplant parmesan one-fourth of the time. Uh, one-fourth one of an, a piece of eggplant. That was the minimum required dose my dad made me choke down because mom had made eggplant parmesan. I like chicken parmesan. I used to like veal parmesan until I found out what they did to those poor little cows. I don't eat that anymore and haven't for a long time. Uh, but eggplant parmesan? You're wasting all that good parmesan on that <laughs> icky eggplant thing. I ate a quarter of it. So if my mom had said, Terry, what do we have? And I said to mom, mom, what are we having for dinner? And if she said, eggplant parmesan, and I rejoiced? No, Griston would have rejoiced it. He would have rejoiced in it. Not me. Rejoice. See, rejoice means you respond as if something good's happening. And it's not like we're Pollyanna. Something terrible is happening. <laughs> cool. Or like Zig Ziglar at the airport when they told him, Mr. Ziglar, your flight's been canceled. And he said, praise the Lord. 
you don't understand. Your flight's been canceled. Praise the Lord. And then they said, why? And he said, well, there must be something wrong with the plane. So praise the Lord that they grounded it. Or if the company just doesn't have enough people to make the flight worthwhile, praise the Lord, they're working to hold down costs for me. You don't have to respond that way. But you rejoice as if something good's happening because something good is happening on the inside. It can hurt on the outside. Something good on the inside is happening because God is doing a work in your life through this. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things. So you can rejoice. And he doesn't just say this one time, right? Rejoice. He expounds upon it. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. This is woohoo. This is not just, oh, okay, I can endure this. Yes, God is working in this and through this. You're supposed to endure. You're supposed to be courageous. You're supposed to be firm. You can set your mindset, as we read in the front of the bulletin from Peter, that if you take it patiently and, and you, come, you, you remember this is your calling. Christ has called you to this, and Christ is your example. And you can remember that, and you can rejoice exceedingly, uh, even though you're going through difficulty. And you can look back in history, for so persecuted they, the prophets who were before you. And you can say, not only am I going through a hard time right here, and, and God has called me to do this, and Christ has set the example, but I can look back in the lineage and in the ancestry of our faith, and we can see men and women who have borne this burden over the years, and they were strong, and we can be strong too. We can live for the Lord. It's almost like when the writer of Hebrews said, you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's almost like they're cheering us on. We're seeing their example and what they did, and we're now choosing to live for God. See, it's not enough for you to endure this suffering nobly. God expects more. God has raised the bar. Not just, I'm going to endure without complaining. I'm going to do all things without murmuring and disputing. Not just that level. He's raised the bar. I'm going to rejoice because I'm going to look beyond these circumstances. I'm going to feel happiness and joy, exceeding glad. I'm going to be elated, extremely joyful, overjoyed because what God is doing in spite of these circumstances. So, why should we respond like that? Because it's your calling. Because Christ is your example. Because in verse 10, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting. Uh, if, if you've ever spent any time around cops, they notice little things, sometimes too much, and drive their spouses crazy. But... But cops notice little things. They'll walk into a room and they'll see which person looks like they're going to be a perp. And they'll kind of move around and stand by them. I, I was in a 
some big events with cops, and you could just see them. They'd go in, and you'd just see them gravitating over. And then pretty soon, a little skirmish started up over here, and the cop was already right there. They noticed things. And, and you and I need to notice what God is doing. We need to see the hand of God in our lives and be extremely overjoyed at what God is doing because ours is the kingdom of heaven. You are not just citizen of the United States, if you happen to be a United States citizen. You're not just citizen of earth, if you happen to be human. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. And if you're not human, please declare yourself so we can deal with that later. You are a citizen of heaven. I realized how dumb that sounded. Anyway, verse 12, there's another reason why. Look at verse 12, why? Great reward in heaven. Yes, you're like the prophets, but the great reward in heaven. So, it, I, I remember uh, my dad, my uncle telling a story they, they, years ago. They were hired to clean out a barn, and the guy promised them a dollar. And so they cleaned out the barn and got a dollar, which, you know, is a different culture. Back then, you could buy a new car for 100 bucks sometimes, a good used car for 100 bucks, a brand new car for 1000 bucks. Um, but uh, his brother found this old rifle, and he said, hey, instead of my dollar, can I have this rifle? And the guy said, sure. And so my uncle went home, and he cleaned up that rifle, he polished it, and he sold it for a hundred bucks. And that began his antiquing. And for years, he ran an antique store. It started with that rifle. See, he looked at this old, rusty, broken-down rifle and saw the end value. My dad looked at the rifle and took the buck. It was the same rifle. And you as a believer, you can look at the difficulties and you can see... You know, beyond this difficulty, when I get beyond this difficulty, there's glory on the other side. It's like the, the sun shining on the other side of the clouds. You don't notice it when you're flying and you're in a dark storm and then suddenly you burst up over the clouds and, man, it's blind, bright, okay? <laughs> Blinding light. For some reason, that wouldn't come out. And, and you just get above the clouds and, whoa, it's suddenly dazzlingly bright. And you, as a believer, you can look at this difficulty. You can say, when I get beyond this difficulty and I'm over on this side of the difficulty, then glory with the Lord forevermore. There's is the kingdom of heaven. You are already enjoying. You're already a member. Your citizenship is already there. There's a reservation in heaven for you. Christ has gone before you to build a place for you. And he's going to come again and receive you unto himself. That where he is, you can be also. And you and Christ are going to dwell in the Father's house. And it's going to be glory forevermore. 
Because you can look beyond this problem, beyond this difficulty. So you should respond because there's more at stake than this problem. There's the kingdom of heaven is going on. And you have a great reward in heaven. And as Jeff mentioned, you're in good company because other people have endured this already. So how can you respond like that? How? You know what an athlete does in order to get stronger, uh, say an athlete that requires a lot of physical strength. They work out with weights and they tax their muscles. They do it too much, you could tear a muscle and that's bad. They tax them a little bit. They push beyond their capacity. And what happens, they get little micro tears in their muscles. And as a result of those micro tears, then the muscles grow back stronger. So what they do is they work hard and then rest and then work hard and then rest and then work hard and then rest. And over the working hard, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And if you're doing it regularly, you don't even notice the strength building up because it's incremental benefits. Did you know spiritually we have that too? When we face a difficulty, like we off, a lot of people like to use the, oh, brother, I can't think of the scripture references, but where it's, he says, uh, no, God um, will not tempt you above that you're able, but will with every temptation make a way of escape. And so people like to say, well, see, God will never give you more than you can handle. But that's not true. He'll never give you so much more that you have to collapse. But he gives you a little bit more so you'll be dependent on him, just like the athletes. They push it just a little bit more. They, they push it till they're fatigued. A musician practices until there's such muscle memory that your fingers are automatically doing it without you really thinking about it. You're just going with the music instead of thinking, oh, I got to hit an F there. Oh, there's a C sharp. You're just going with the music and it flows out. And so what you, how you respond is you build muscle through the process of rejoicing in what God is doing in spite of the circumstances and sometimes because of the circumstances. It takes spiritual muzzle, muscle. <laughs> Don't have a spiritual muzzle, please. It takes spiritual muscle. Build that muscle. And then you also need to change your mind. Maybe more appropriately, change your mindset. Think about it differently. You control the meditations of your heart. You control the soundtrack in your head. So think about it differently. For instance, you can say, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to go at work and those people at work last week were really obnoxious and they harassed me. It's going to be difficult. Oh, Lord, give me the strength to get through this day. Or you could say, last week, even though the enemy attacked through people who didn't know any better, 
The Holy Spirit of God was in me. And I was empowered and I had victory. And this week, I'm going to have victory through God because I can do all things through Christ who is strengthening me. And you can go and live for God in the face of the difficulty. Don't just hang in there. Don't be a Christian with the great big backpack full of your family Bible. No, live for the Lord. Realize God's going to give the victory. You're going to get beyond this. This is one step in a process of Christ-likeness. And you could choose to see your troubles the way God sees your troubles. God sees your troubles as instruments of blessing. Now, when Megan was playing the bassoon up here for the offertory, um, I remember when she first started the bassoon, it wasn't as fun to listen to her. Um, but that bassoon can be used to make beautiful music that exalts and worships God. And that bassoon can be used to make terrible music. Poor, I'm not evil music, but poor quality. You can play it badly. That instrument can be used to be part of a jazz group, providing some of the bass in a jazz group. That instrument can be part of the symphony, providing excellent music. It can be used in church to cause us to worship God. It's the same instrument. And you can view your troubles as an instrument of what that God is using to grow and mature you and bring greater spiritual blessings. They bring you in closer fellowship with God and closer to Jesus Christ because he's called you to this and he set the example for this and he's allowed you to read about many who preceded you who have been faithful. When you suffer, talk to the Lord. Ask him to give you grace and strength. And then live for Him. Lasting happiness and joy come through God, period. You are blessed when you walk with God. You are blessed when He is with you. When you recognize your brokenness and your need to trust Christ. When you mourn over your sinfulness. Uh, when you're meek and hungry and thirsty and for, for the right things. When you show mercy to other people. When you're pure in heart. You are the one who's going to see God. You're going to experience the kingdom. You're going to grow in faith. And I have known believers who have gone through hard times and walked away from God. And I've known other believers who've gone through hard times and they've become stronger and sweeter and have a, a better disposition and they encourage and strengthen other people because when they were persecuted or reviled or evil was set against them, they rejoiced in what God was doing instead of fussing about what people were doing. There is joy even in being persecuted. There is joy even in that. You say, well, why did I picture, use this picture? It's a guy standing there on a big rock. There's another big rock and then a smaller rock. You ever heard of being in the, between a rock and a hard place? <laughs> He's almost there. 
And he's standing looking down, looking like he's not sure what's next. Well, listen, if that little rock suddenly rolled over and landed on his feet, God would still be God. He would still be good. If that were a believer, he would still be a citizen of heaven. He would still be on his way to heaven. His feet would hurt, but his soul would be fine. Rejoice in what God is doing. Don't get overwhelmed by the circumstances. Like the old country preacher went up and talked to the farmer. He said, hey, John, how you doing? And the farmer, John, says, well, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances. The old country preacher said, what are you doing under the circumstances? You walk with God. You're supposed to be above the circumstances. Rejoice, because God is at work. Life is hard. Life is difficult. God is great. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You already belong in the kingdom of heaven. Yours is a great reward. Your reward is already accumulating in heaven. God is good. Even when life doesn't feel good. You can be faithful. And rejoice even when it hurts. Because you see beyond the difficulty to the glory on the other side. Just like Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You can endure and bring glory to God because you're faithful to him in spite of the difficulties. There's a song that uh, talks about what Jesus did for us. And it's also a challenge for us to do something for him. The song's written as if Jesus were asking a question. I, I gave so much for you. What have you done for me? And I don't want you to think Jesus is saying, you know, putting you down or anything. Through this song, it's the imagery of Jesus saying, I was willing to do all of this. Now, what are you willing to do? And I want you to picture it like this, okay? This is not Jesus saying, Bill, I did so much for you. What are you doing for me? This is Jesus saying, hey, guys, look what I've done. Come on, walk with me. Different perspective. Are you walking with God in spite of the difficulties? Maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. He died for you. He paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. You can be saved by asking Him to forgive your sins and trusting Him as your Savior. If you have never done that today, you need to do that because the Bible says you're on the pathway to hell unless you are saved in Christ and trust Him. And if you end up in hell, then all the problems of this life will seem pretty small because you'll be in suffering and agony. If you end up in heaven, all the suffering of this life will seem pretty small. You want to view the suffering from the side with the Lord. Trust Him for your soul, for your daily life. Jim, come and lead us. I gave my life for you. Thank <clears throat> you.